This is DW News, live from Berlin. The crisis over Ukraine escalates. The US moves 3,000 troops to beef up its presence in Europe. Russia denounces the deployment as destructive and likely to increase tensions even further. Also coming up, a taste of life beyond the pandemic. The UK and Denmark are lifting coronavirus restrictions in spite of high case numbers. And have people had enough of Facebook? The site's reported a drop in daily users for the first time ever as parent company Meta sees shares sink a staggering 20%. And with just a day to go before the Winter Olympics in Beijing, we'll hear from our correspondent in the Chinese capital about the start of the competition and life inside the Beijing bubble. I'm Rebecca Ritters. Welcome to the program. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz says he plans to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin to discuss tensions over Ukraine. Scholz has been facing pressure to take a tougher stance on Russia, with critics accusing Germany of being out of step with its allies in tackling the crisis. He's now trying to reassure people that Germany is pulling its weight. Of course, I have also spoken with the Russian president and, of course, we are carefully preparing everything that needs to be done. I will now be going to the US and I will be continuing the conversation on the necessary issues in Moscow soon. It's important that the policies of the European Union and NATO are coordinated, but it's also important that the decisions that we take are the result of sound preparation and hard work. Let's speak now to Gustav Gressel, a senior policy fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations. Mr Gressel, thanks very much for joining us. Now pressure is mounting on Chancellor Scholz to take more action. He's now headed to Moscow. What will that achieve? That's a good question because, uh, I mean, the interview that you have cited before, it could have come from a yes minister show. Uh, he didn't really outline what was, were his plans, uh, what he wanted to achieve and which were the lines he, he will press Putin towards. I mean, uh, we can roughly guess that it will be about sanctions, that it will, will be about the revival of the Normandy format, but we actually do not know any details. Now, Germany has consistently refused to send defensive weapons to Ukraine, citing historical reasons and frustrating its allies on both sides of the Atlantic. Has Germany's approach been the wrong move? Yes, um, and it was also very badly justified. I mean, the problem is, or the problem for German policymakers is that there is no domestic consensus on this and there's no parliamentary majority. And that is something people would understand. Uh, but if you sort of bring in history and say it's our historic responsibility uh, not to arm a country that has suffered uh, one of the worst uh, from Nazi occupation and where sort of the Einsatzgruppen uh, and the SS has done a tremendous toll to the local population, uh, this is ignorant. And that, of course, has, has caused much more harm than the statements of other countries who do not deliver weapons, but remain to be silent on history. In your opinion, what should Germany be doing differently? Well, again, starting from the rhetoric, uh, also one of the mistakes is, and here he's been pretty much repeating Merkel, not to talk to the public on what's at stake and what to do. You need, if you're a politician, at a certain point, mobilize your public 
to follow you. Um, Merkel has never discussed important decisions. The, the thing was, she was in charge for so long that pretty much everybody could predict what's going to be the red line and what not. Now, for example, Scholz not communicating what actually on which side he stands on various subtopics and issues is making people more nervous because they don't know him yet, because they don't know what the new government's lines actually would be. And then, of course, they open up the space for a misinterpretation, but also for disinformation that has been spread, trying to denounce the German government or discredit it. Another key issue that Germany is all very involved with in this issue is, of course, uh, the Nord Stream 2. It's another issue that's been ruffling the feathers of allies. Germany says the gas pipeline is on the table for sanctions if Russia does indeed attack. Do you think Germany is serious about that? Well, they have been saying that consistently now, and I think that is a consensus reached uh, with Washington on the issue. Also, Merkel promised that to the Americans and they pretty much can't move themselves out of their old commitments. Uh, the, the little caveat they have on that uh, is that the Germans still think that an all-out attack on Ukraine is unlikely and that the main target of the Russian war rattling is actually the West to, to pressure out uh, concessions from NATO and from from Washington on on other demands, uh, not only Ukraine. Uh, and here, sort of, the Germans put Nord Stream two on the table, but they are pretty sure, or in their belief, they won't have to pull it. The interesting question, of course, will start if there is no war, um, or there is no further war than we witness now, which is the correct term. But. Uh, Nord Stream 2 is not yet certified. Uh, there are a lot of regulatory issues. The new Minister of Economy will uh, and has voted to take the concerns issued by the European Commission and by other European member states on the legal issues of Nord Stream 2 much more seriously. And that will lead to a further interesting debate inside Germany, because in the past these concerns have been utterly ignored. Uh, and the question on what to do with the pipeline as such Hence, will remain a very hot political potato even beyond the current crisis. Indeed. Gustav Gressel, thank you very much for your time. Gustav Gressel from the European Council on Foreign Relations. Meanwhile, the US is mobilising 3,000 troops to reassure its allies in Eastern Europe. The soldiers will not be sent to Ukraine itself, but to Germany, Poland and Romania, an attempt to deter Russia from invading. NATO chief uh, Jens Scholdenberg has expressed concerns that Russia has deployed more troops and equipment to Belarus than any time in the last 30 years. Another day, another increase in tension over Ukraine. The US is sending 2,000 soldiers to Poland and Germany, while another 1,000 move from Germany to Romania. The current situation demands that we reinforce the deterrent and defensive posture on NATO's eastern flank. President Biden has been clear that the United States will respond to the growing threat to Europe's security and stability. Our commitment to NATO, Article 5, and collective defense remains ironclad. The Pentagon made it clear that no U.S. soldiers will fight in Ukraine. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said diplomacy comes first but no options are off the table. We only think about peace. We only think about the return of our occupied territories and only through diplomacy. We will not give up a single piece of our land today. We will not give up our territories, no matter what the price. 
Despite Zelensky's reassurances, others are preparing to do battle if it comes to a fight. Former boxing champion Vladimir Klitschko signed up for the army. His brother Vitali accompanied him in a show of support. We are not weak. And any aggressor have to understand if they do it activity, aggressive activity against Ukraine, he have to pay huge price for that. We're ready to fight. Leaked documents confirmed by the Pentagon revealed the backroom diplomatic efforts to avoid war. The US offered Russia access to inspect key military sites in return for a de-escalation. Russia says it has no intention to invade Ukraine, but these pictures released by Russia's defense ministry showing joint combat drills with Belarus send a clear message. Russia is not backing down. Now turning to some of the other stories making world news today. Rescue and cleanup efforts are underway in Ecuador's capital Quito after floods caused a landslide. At least 24 people died after the rainfall, the country's heaviest in nearly two decades. A dozen people are still missing. Authorities haven't ruled out the danger of further landslides. New Zealand will begin to reopen its borders in phases starting at the end of February. Fully vaccinated citizens and visa holders from Australia will be allowed in first. Under the new rules, vaccinated citizens entering the country will be allowed to quarantine at home instead of at a managed isolation facility. Shares in Facebook owner Meta plunged by around 20% in after-hours trading on Wednesday, knocking a massive $200 billion off the company's value. Chief Executive Mark Zuckerberg had warned investors in a call earlier that Meta expected first quarter revenues to decline due to competition from rivals such as TikTok. If the stock doesn't rebound before trading resumes on Thursday, it will rank as the worst day in the company's 10-year stock market tenure and one of the biggest one-day falls of any company on record. Well, let's discuss this further with Rob Watts from DW Business. Rob, thanks for coming in. Looks like I'm not the only one turning away from Facebook. What are they doing wrong? Well, they're losing Young people, a demographic I'm sure you consider oh, yourself a, 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 a part of. <laughs> yeah, well, what Mark Zuckerberg says is that younger Facebook users are leaving the platform and they are going to the likes of TikTok and YouTube. TikTok in particular, which is growing in all the markets where Facebook has really been struggling. Europe, North America. I mean, you don't need to cry too much for Facebook. They're still getting 1.9 billion users each day. That's around a quarter of the planet's population still logging in each day. But for the very first time in its 18-year history, the number of users is going down. That's a big problem for them because the big way that they make their money is by advertising to those users. Now, Meta has various challenges when it comes to advertising. For example, companies are just advertising less at the moment. You know, there's supply chain problems that mean that companies already can't meet the demand from their customers, so they're not looking for more customers necessarily. Uh, but also, Facebook, Instagram, both owned by Meta, have struggled as a result of new privacy policies from the likes of Apple, which have meant that they're not as able to target their advertising. And that's something that advertisers really want to be able to do. Yeah, of course. Um, what's been the biggest impact then on Facebook or Meta, I should say? Well, you were just talking about this drop in share price, 22% in after-hours trading. That wipes $200 billion off the market capitalization 
of matter that is bigger than the economy of Greece. All wiped out in just a a few hours. Yeah, it's it's massive, but we're talking about a company that just a few months ago was worth more than a trillion dollars. It's also spooked people who have invested in other social media networks, you know, like Twitter, another very big name, but text-based, also Snap and Pinterest all saw their share prices drop after this gloomy news from Facebook, because we are seeing a change in the landscape when it comes to social media. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're really seeing it changing very fast. Do Meta have a plan to keep up with progress with the way that things are going? Well, they clearly don't see Facebook as the way that they are going to move forward and and stay with the times. And we know that because they changed their name at the end of last year. They changed it away from Facebook to Meta. And that new name gives you a hint about what they do see as the future. Mark Zuckerberg wants to be right at the forefront of creating the Metaverse, this you know virtual reality world where we can meet with people, we can work, we can play, but also we can spend, spend, spend. But to make that come about, Meta, Mark Zuckerberg have got to spend, spend, spend as well. And it's going to cost billions of dollars, and that's money that they're not going to get any sort of return from for many years. However, that is where Meta sees the future. Well, I may be too young for Facebook, but I am too old for the sounds of that. That sounds terrifying. (laughs) Rob Watts, thank you very much for coming in to break it down. Well, the United Kingdom and Denmark are among the first European countries to lift most of their coronavirus restrictions, despite relatively high case numbers. Their governments have decided the virus now poses less of a risk to citizens and to public health systems. But while many are hoping this could be a step towards life beyond the pandemic, some businesses are choosing to keep taking precautions. And experts are warning the virus is still unpredictable. Packed pubs in London as people meet for a drink after work, just like they did before the pandemic. A cherished tradition, revived even as the coronavirus is still wafting through the air. We're being eased into that now and it's, and it's working. I think it's, I think it's OK and I think it's happy. It's lovely coming out without having to move. <laughs> well, I've had my three vaccines, so, you know. I do, have you had COVID, SJ? I had it really early on right, so. and I'm fully vaccinated with my booster and I do feel very safe. Almost all restrictions in the UK have been lifted. The vaccination rate is high, especially among older people. New infections are decreasing and hospitals are admitting fewer patients, but some still urge caution. It has always demonstrated its ability to surprise us. Now, there are some that have this idea that in some way viruses tend to evolve to become less dangerous. That's actually not based on any good historical evidence. And it's perfectly possible that another one will come along that is more severe. Businesses are now free to write their own rules. At this hair salon, employees are supposed to still wear a mask. We're doing so to make you feel more comfortable. If you'd rather not, that's absolutely fine as a client. Sit down, don't wear a mask. Again, whatever makes you happier. The government is already planning its final phase. From mid-March, those with COVID-19 will no longer have to self-isolate. Meanwhile, in Denmark, restored freedoms are being welcomed too. Designers Søren Le Schmidt and his team are making final preparations before Fashion Week starts in Copenhagen, mask-free and test-free. I am so happy that we can come together again and celebrate fashion. 
Many Danes are relaxed about restrictions having been lifted a second time. More than 80% of the population is double vaccinated. More than 60% has had a booster. There are far fewer patients in hospital ICUs. But the number of new infections remains high. A problem for schools and daycare centres, which are struggling to stay open due to severe staff shortages. The government is warning people not to underestimate the virus in spite of the freedom. That's why, here too, many businesses are voluntarily maintaining some precautions. For more, I'm joined now by Paul Hunter in Norwich. He's a professor in medicine and infectious diseases at the University of East Anglia. Professor Hunter, welcome. Thanks for joining us. As we just heard, Denmark and the UK uh, have very high vaccination rates and that's why they're able to lift restrictions. But we've also been hearing all along that vaccination alone isn't enough. So how do those opposing viewpoints come together? Yeah, I mean, I think... One of the problems is that we're conflating both infection with actual severe disease. And, and to a large extent, the role of vaccines is not that good at preventing infection, although it does prevent a substantial proportion of infections. But what vaccines are very good at and remain good at, even with new variants, is preventing severe disease, preventing hospitalizations and preventing deaths. And so at some point, we have to uh, accept that this virus isn't going away. It's going to be with us for decades to come. But hopefully we won't see the same, and I think it's unlikely that we'll see anywhere near the same severity of disease, the number of deaths and, and the number of hospitalizations that we have. And you know, uh, so we ultimately have to come to some sort of balance, equilibrium with this virus because we will, the other coronaviruses, typically cause infections every four years on average. So that is still a very high number of daily infections that we're likely to see for decades to come. But Indeed. we won't necessarily see the severe hospitalizations and deaths. Which is great news and obviously due to the vaccines. Now, Germany and Austria, for example, have far lower rates of vaccination than most of Western Indeed. Europe, really. Austria um, has just introduced a mandatory vaccination uh, system and many in Germany want the same here. Do you think the mandatory vaccinations are a good way out of the pandemic? Uh, personally, I, you know, I, think it, I think everybody should have the vaccine. I think... Uh, particularly healthcare workers, I think it's it's a moral obligation on, on if you're a healthcare worker to have the vaccine. But at the same time, personally, I'm uncomfortable with forcing people to have any form of medical intervention. And we've seen in, in the UK the, um, uh, the likely backpedaling of the government's decision to enforce vaccination in healthcare workers because to do that would actually ultimately cause more pressure through a loss of substantial numbers of staff. So, yeah, everybody should go out and get vaccines, but that doesn't mean to, if they are not yet vaccinated, but that doesn't mean to say I, I personally support compulsory uh, vaccination. All right, Professor Paul Hunter, thank you very much. Paul Hunter, Professor in Medicine, Infectious Diseases and Epidemics at the University of East Anglia.
Let's take a look at some of the other developments in the pandemic. Germany's Vaccine Commission has recommended a second COVID-19 booster. That's a fourth shot be given to at-risk groups. That includes the over 70s, those with compromised immune systems and health workers. Sweden has announced it will lift pandemic restrictions next Wednesday. The Prime Minister said the hospital system was coping well despite a high number of infections. And Bali, Indonesia is welcoming back its first international flights in nearly two years. A dozen passengers are set to arrive from Tokyo on Thursday. Vaccinated tourists must still quarantine for five to seven days upon entry. Meanwhile, Tonga has gone into lockdown after confirming a number of COVID-19 cases. The Pacific island nation is still recovering from a devastating volcanic eruption and massive tsunami last month. Before the disaster, Tonga was COVID-free, but ships bringing aid are likely to have carried the virus to the island. All is quiet on the streets of the Tongan capital, Nuku'alofa. Images reminiscent for many around the world of the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. But for residents here in Tonga, the measures to deal with COVID-19 are now necessary. There is a lockdown uh, and I think it's a good thing. Uh, we need to be tracking uh, and, and, and doing tracing uh, of, of, of those who were in contact with the, with the first two uh, uh, COVID cases. Tonga entered a lockdown after several COVID-19 cases were discovered. It's thought that ships bringing aid may be how the coronavirus reached the country's shores. The South Pacific nation was previously corona-free. It's another blow to Tongans who are still struggling to deal with the aftermath of a catastrophic volcanic eruption in January. But there is some hope. Over 80% of people over the age of 12 are fully vaccinated. The lockdown, which only permits essential services to remain open, will be reassessed by the Tongan government every 48 hours. Some sport now, and Belgium skeleton racer Kim Melemans has been brought to the Olympic Village in Beijing after an IOC intervention following her emotional appeal on Instagram. After a positive test on her arrival in the Chinese capital, Melemans was initially taken directly into isolation, where she then returned three consecutive negative PCRs. In the video on Instagram, she described what happened when she was picked up from the isolation unit. We thought this meant I was allowed to return to the Olympic Village and will be treated maximum as a close contact. Um, on the way to the village, uh, we did not turn to the village, but the ambulance went to another facility where I am now. After that video was published, the International Olympic Committee intervened to bring Mailermans into the Olympic Village, where she nonetheless remains isolated from her fellow competitors. DW Sports correspondent Jonathan Crane is currently in Beijing to report on the Winter Games. And earlier today, he sent us this message on the bizarre life inside the Olympic bubble. It's been a very surreal experience, like nothing I've experienced before. From the moment we landed in Beijing on Tuesday, we were greeted at the airport by ground staff in hazmat suits, marshaled through every step of the airport from PCR tests to uh, customs and immigration. And then we had to wait in our hotel room for that all-important negative test result. Thankfully, I got it, which means uh, I can enter the bubble properly. But the bubble 
is effectively a city within this city. We can only be in the hotel or games venues. Special transport takes us in between. And as you can see behind me, the Olympic Stadium is there. This is as far as we can go within this media compound. We're gated off. We're watching the people on the other side. They're watching us. It's a really bizarre situation. TW's Jonathan Crane in Beijing. Well, new data released this week by Danish researchers shows that Greenland's massive ice sheet has lost enough ice in the past 20 years to cover the entire United States with half a metre of water. The Arctic is warming faster than any other place on Earth, and ice melting away from Greenland is now the main contributing factor in rising seawater levels. On the front line of climate change. Current studies show Greenland's rapid melt is helping push up global sea levels. They've risen by an average of 1.2 centimeters around the globe. The Arctic Ocean especially is warming up. That's led to this dramatic melting of ice. The ice sheet at the top of Greenland is actually continuing to grow, but the ice lower down is melting away much quicker than what's growing on top. This NASA model shows just how rapidly it's happening. Since 2002, 4.7 billion tons of ice have melted away from Greenland's coasts. That's enough to put the whole of the United States under half a meter of water. Rising sea levels are a threat to us all. The islands of the Pacific, countries like Bangladesh, but also here in Germany. It also plays a role for the German coastline. We're already strengthening our defences. It all costs a lot of money and so we're also affected by the rise in sea levels. Climate researchers are warning that time is running out. They're urging politicians to act now. Greenland's glaciers are melting six to seven times faster than they were 25 years ago and an end to that development is nowhere in sight. Well, meanwhile, a major snowstorm is causing widespread disruption in parts of the United States. But some are revelling in the cold weather. A polar bear in a Chicago zoo can't seem to get enough of the fresh powdery stuff. Hudson, as he's named, is clearly in his element. The state of Illinois and parts of northern Indiana are expecting up to 45 centimetres by the end of Thursday. You're watching DW News. Here's a reminder of the top story we're following for you. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has said he'll meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin to discuss tensions over Ukraine. And the US is deploying additional troops to Europe in a show of solidarity with Ukraine and its NATO allies. That's your news update. Stay tuned now for Focus on Europe. I'm Rebecca Ritters in Berlin. This is DW News. Thanks very much for watching.
700 million people, all with their own personal stories. Europe. We explore everyday life, what Europeans fear and what they hope for. Focus on Europe. Next on DW. Enter the conflict zone with Tim Sebastian. There's mounting international concern over tens of thousands of Russian troops dug in along the border with Ukraine. We talked this week to a respected foreign policy analyst in Moscow, Fyodor Lukyanov. Has the West misunderstood Russia's position? And just how dangerous is the current situation? Conflict Zone. In 60 minutes on DW. a sport of many colors and the children in this mountain village know them all but can everyone be adorned with them regardless of gender Hema wears blue the color of her favorite team but sexist traditions prevent her from going to games and playing an insurmountable obstacle blue girl Football on the Peak starts February 4th on DW.